So we're going to read. We're going to start where we left off. We've been going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the book of Mark. And we find ourselves today at Mark 14, verse 27. And you don't have to have been to the previous studies to appreciate as we're going through these messages. Um, you'll pick up on it. Mark 14, 27. Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. Jesus said to him, I'm sorry if I read that in a different voice, but Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that today, even this night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Wow. But he spoke more vehemently, If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said likewise. And God, as we come here today, words of life and truth and hope and of encouragement and instruction. They tell us about who you are. They also reveal who we are. The worst of who we can be. And the best of who we can be when it is indeed your spirit inside of us. So please teach us today. Your word go forth in power and in truth. You know the need of every individual in this room. You know the need of this group today, like no one else does. And we trust that. And we trust that you'll speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. In the room today, by a show of hands, how many of you would consider yourselves to be a good cook? Okay, how many of you would consider yourself to be a good cook? Okay, how many of you, now I do want you to be prouder about this, how many of you will admit that you are not a very good cook at all? Okay, all right. But even for the good cooks in the room, even for the best cooks in the room, you certainly don't know everything there is to know about cooking. There are some of you in the room that are gifted with your hands, maybe in carpentry. But as gifted as you are in carpentry, you would probably admit that you don't know everything there is to know about carpentry. Some of you might have an aptitude and an understanding of science, but as much as you understand of science, especially you know you don't know everything that there is to know about science, the same goes true for sports. The same goes true for medicine, for sales, for working with children. You might know something about each subject. You might even be considered an expert on that subject, but you certainly don't know everything there is to know about that subject. And here's the other thing. We don't know everything there is to know about everything. Nobody knows that. That we don't know anyone in here that knows everything about everything. As a teenager? I did. All right, as a teenager, I know everything about everything. You just ask me. I'll have the answer for everything. And some of you have people in your life, they're termed as what you might call a know-it-all. So they're termed that. 
Um, but there's only one that knows everything. And when I say everything, he knows everything and he knows everything about everything. And his name is Jesus. You see, they could never play this game that we sometimes play called Stump the Chump. You could never play that with Jesus. And what is Stump the Chump? That's when one person challenges or questions another person in front of others to make them feel foolish. Nobody played that with Jesus. All right. An example would be uh, asking an expert presenter a question, and the reason that you're asking it is to try to trip them up to downplay their credibility. That's called stump the chump. The scribes played, they lost. The Pharisees played, and they lost. The Sadducees played, and they lost. You cannot play the game with Jesus for two reasons. One, because he isn't a chump. Two, because he knows everything there is to know about everything. He made all things out of nothing, according to Scripture. All things were made through him that were made. Without him, nothing was made that was made. So all things out of nothing. Now, some of man's inventions and the things that we know and the things that we make can be impressive. Are you impressed by looking at a telescope? And who came up with that idea to put the one glass there and the other glass there? And that's pretty impressive. Or a microscope. Don't be too impressed, though, because you should be more impressed with the human eye. And how God has brought two eyes to come together. That's impressive. We create headphones and we create speakers. God created the ear. We create computers. God created the human brain. And here's the thing. We know this. The deeper that we go into any area, the more we realize truly that we do not know. The deeper we go into space, well, listen to this. There was an article on 1129 that said, scientists have discovered a monster black hole. In theory, it shouldn't exist. Previously thought that a black hole should be no larger than 20 times the mass of the sun. But this one is 15,000 light years away with a mass 70 times greater than the sun. It shouldn't exist. They discover it and they uh, report their findings and we say, well, you know what? And how many times have you seen this with something that you learned in science and then you find out later, well, it's bigger than they expected. It's more complex than they ever dreamt, right? And so the deeper we go into space, certainly you see that. The deeper you go into the ocean, the more we find life that we never knew existed. The more we look at the human body, the more you look at the Word of God, the more you look at the Word of God, the more sometimes we look and we say, wow, there's so much that I don't know. And these things are so big, and they're so massive, and they're so deep. And we say, well, we look out at space and we say, well, why is something this massive? Every time we think that we have it figured out, we find out that it's bigger than we thought it was. Doesn't it give you a greater appreciation for the word infinite? And isn't that who God is? So all of the things, the deeper we go, the more we find out we don't know, the more we find out how immense and infinite and intense and wonderful He is. But what does that mean to you personally sitting here? Well, it means this. It means that there's no information that God doesn't have. There's no situation that you're in that He isn't aware of. There's no piece of the puzzle that is missing for God. And there's no concern for your future that He doesn't know the outcome to. And there's no problem in your life that He hasn't had the solution to. That's our God. He knows. And that's important that we gather here because sometimes out there, things get so big and so misconstrued that we have a tendency to forget. So this is where we come in and we're reminded by looking at the power of Scripture. 
The things we don't know, we have confidence that He does know. And so if we're sitting there and we're flustered because we don't know, understand this, that the thing that you don't know is not flustering God. That's why Scripture can tell us, and rightly so, be still. Know that I'm God. And when He says that, we humbly admit, we're not. We humbly admit it, and I'm thankful for it. And so, as we delve deeper into the relationship, as we delve deeper into the Word, we come to a greater understanding and appreciation of God. We gain that as we go into His Word. We also come to a greater understanding of ourselves and who He created us to be. We also come to a greater understanding of the world that we live in. We also come to a greater understanding, listen, of your role in it. Of your role in it. That's why today's passage is so very important. We're coming off of him implementing the Lord's Supper. Listen to verse uh, 27 again. It says, Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. Stop there. All of you are going to be made to stumble. Now he just, on the night that he's going to be betrayed, abandoned, denied, he's just knowing that all this is coming right down the pipe, all this is just moments away, what does Jesus do? Well, the Bible tells us that in in another gospel that he washes their feet, and now he implements the Lord's Supper, and he's giving them something to remember him by, despite knowing the fact that these folks are all going to abandon him on this night. And that's really important. Because when we say that he knows, the first thing that we see that he knows is this. He knows exactly who he's dealing with. He knows exactly who he's dealing with. You know who he's dealing with at that table that night that he's implementing the Lord's Supper with? You know who he's dealing with? A bunch of sinners. Just like us. He's dealing with a bunch of sinners at that table. And Jesus, let me tell you, He always knew who He was dealing with. When He saw that tax collector named Zacchaeus up in the tree, He knew He was dealing with. He knew what the crowd was going to say when Jesus called the tax collector down, the most hated man in the crowd. He knew who He was dealing with. And He calls him anyway. And what did the people say? Oh, He's eating with a bunch of sinners. Why is He going to go eat with that sinner? But here's the thing. When they said that, what they failed to realize, that maybe they didn't realize who was eating at their own table. A bunch of sinners. And maybe they failed to look in the mirror, understanding that they themselves were sinners. Because you see, this is a bold-faced truth. Jesus never ate with any man or woman that wasn't a sinner. He was always eating with sinners. He knows that this night is going to bring out the worst in everybody there. He gets that. And yet it's such a profound truth that knowing what every single person is going to do. Because maybe at some point, knowing that somebody was going to betray you or hurt you, maybe you would have excused yourself from the table. Maybe you would have said, not for me. But how much richer is this betrayal going to be that he's going to experience this night? Think about it. These guys have walked with him for at least three years. For three years, they saw His power. He empowered them. He encouraged them. He fed them. He calmed storms for them. He raised the dead in front of them. They tasted. They saw. They heard. They participated. And wouldn't it be easy for Jesus at this point to say, you know what, I did all all this for them. 
And this is what they're going to do this night? This guy Pete, he's, he's going to deny that he even knows me and Judas is going to sell me out for money? Then why should I go to the cross? They're not even worth it. Let me ask you something. Do you ever see Jesus saying that? You never see that. Why? Because he knows exactly who he's dealing with. That's the first of six simple points we're going to make today. He knows exactly who he's dealing with throughout history. He's never made a mistake choosing someone to do something, knowing that that person was going to, wow, I can't believe they let me down. Adam and Eve, he knew exactly what they were going to do. He knew that as soon as Noah got off the ark, he was going to build an altar. Then he was going to get inebriated. He knew that. He knew that Abraham would leave his father's house when he was called to in a great act of faith. He also knew that Abraham would lie and tell a pharaoh that his wife was his sister. He knew Samson was a womanizer. He knew David would stand up before Goliath in a great act of faith. And he knew that this would be a man after his own heart. And he also knew that David would commit adultery with Bathsheba and have her husband killed. But understand this. He knows exactly who he's dealing with. He's never surprised by human behavior. We are. How many of you have had somebody do something in your life or you saw something on the news and say, I can't believe they went that far. I can't believe they did that. I can't believe that mankind is capable of this. You see that somebody beheads a puppy in the news recently. Somebody leaves a baby in a dumpster. Somebody sets their grandmother on fire. And Jesus isn't sitting up there saying, you know what, this is ridiculous. What is this even? We sit there and we say it. But there's nothing about human nature that surprises God. Nothing that a man has ever done. And this is where I think that sometimes the disciples get it and we don't get it. Because when Jesus was sitting at the table last week during our study, remember He said, somebody's going to betray me. Most of the disciples said, is is it me? I think they were pretty insightful. Hey, you know what? There's nothing that is going to be done that I'm not capable of. Because they were sinners. But listen, He knows exactly who He's dealing with always. He is not held captive by your identity crisis. Alright? He's the author of life, and He is not held captive by your identity crisis or whatever it is that you're struggling with. He knows exactly who you are. There's a story of a woman at a well. We see it in John 4. And it's this story where Jesus goes up to the Samaritan woman and Jews did not have dealings with Samaritans. And she reminds him of that when he asks her kindly for, uh, hey, give me a drink, please. Give me a drink. And she says, oh, Jews don't deal with Samaritans. You're a man. And all of a sudden, Jesus is building bridges and she's erecting barriers. And Jesus is trying to talk to her about spiritual things and she keeps bringing it back to the physical. But finally, Jesus doesn't give up on her. Look at what Jesus says to her. In verse 9 of chapter 4, it says, The woman of Samaria said to Jesus, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans? In other words, shut down. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Oh, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our fathers Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and he said, Oh, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. 
But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. Even when you read it, doesn't that water sound good? But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, now Jesus switches tactics because she's still thinking physically. He's still talking spiritually, but watch what Jesus does here because it's really important. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you are with now is not your husband, and that you spoke truly. All right, and so Jesus basically says, listen, I know everything that you've done. I know everything about... In that simple sentence, this woman goes, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. And later when she goes to tell people about him, she says, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Because he knows who he's dealing with. He's not looking at her saying, you know what? She's a throwaway. Not at all. Jesus sees her completely different because he always knows exactly who he's dealing with. There's another episode earlier in the book of John where after Jesus reveals himself to Philip, Philip finds Nathaniel and he says, hey, you got to come see the Messiah. It's this guy, Jesus of Nazareth. Nathaniel says, can any good thing come from Nazareth? I love that. I love that because Jesus comes to Nathaniel and he says, hey, listen, I saw you where you are. I saw you underneath the tree. And Nathaniel's captivated from that moment. Jesus knows exactly who he is. He knows exactly who he is. And for some of you, that he knows exactly who he's dealing with, some of you would say, you know what, I don't like that. I don't like the fact that he knows exactly who he's dealing with. He knows exactly what I'm doing. He knows exactly what I'm thinking. He knows exactly where I've been and what I've done. I pose to you that that's the good news. That's the good news. Because he knows exactly who we are, and he loves us anyway. Listen, at 29 years old, my wife was walking with Jesus. She had just gotten back from a missions trip in Guatemala. And, you know, she had spent her whole life walking with Jesus. I have to be very honest with you. I was scared to death to tell her about my history. I was scared to tell her who I was. I was like, if she knew the baggage that this man was carrying, baggage, forget about it. I was a whole airport. Okay, if she knew the baggage that I was carrying, I said she would never be able to accept me. Because who could accept these damage? Who could accept this this bundle of damaged goods? And yet, with a very Christ-like love, she did. Listen, he knows exactly who you are. He knows exactly who he's dealing with. He knows exactly who is sitting at the table. He's always known, and he will always know. In that room, it's a group of sinners. Boy, does he love them. They've broken bread with them. So that's the first thing that we see. He says, you're all going to be made to stumble on this night because of me, for it is written. Now he goes quoting scripture, Zechariah 13, 7. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. 
And that's a quotation, it's a messianic prophecy from the book of Zechariah, chapter 13, verse 7. Jesus strikes it and he says, here's what's going to happen. And here's what this reveals, that he's quoting scripture that was written hundreds of years before he walked the earth. He realizes not only does he know who he's dealing with, he acknowledges and he reveals that he has always known what was going to happen. I was studying, I listened to a message with a friend this week, and in Revelations 13, it refers to Jesus as the Lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. That's how it refers to Him in Revelation 13.8. Do you see the implication of that? Before the foundation of the world, it was a done deal that Jesus was going to give Himself to die for our sins. So He's known exactly, this is the second point, He's known exactly from before time what was going to happen. And this is why in the book of Genesis, because he created time and space, right? In the beginning, that's time, God created the heavens and the earth. That's space. Created at the same time. Jesus created time and space. Now John, in his gospel, says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning. And he uses verbiage that's similar to Genesis. The books are written thousands of years apart, and yet there's this beautiful relationship, there's beautiful, this beautiful correlation that assures you that the one that's walking on the planet, Jesus Christ, all things were made through him that were made, and he's always known what was going to happen. You see, sometimes some of you all are very insightful about human behavior. Alright? My father was very insightful. He would say, okay, you're dating this girl, and this is what's going to happen, and sure enough, it would happen. Alright? He would be very insightful. He knew what I was going to do. It was a scavenger hunt. And for this scavenger hunt, when I was a teenager in marching band, because in my day, marching band folks were really, really cool. Um, we were in marching band, and we were going to do a scavenger hunt. And he was like, this is trouble. So I told him I wouldn't go. I was just going to go sleep over a friend's house. And so I came home at 5 o'clock in the morning. And we had indeed gone on that scavenger hunt, and we had indeed been pulled over by the police. Now, Dad didn't know this, but he comes to me at 5 o'clock in the morning. I'm just getting home. He's getting ready for work, and he was like, where were you? I said, well, I was just sleeping over at Paul's house. He said, no, you weren't. I said, yeah, I, I was. He says, no, you went on the scavenger hunt, didn't you? I said, nope. He said, you went on the scavenger hunt, didn't you? Nope. He goes, then why do I have this warrant for your arrest? And he pulls out a real certified Palm Beach County warrant for my arrest. And I'm like, all right, here's what happened. You know, we went out drinking, and we went on a scavenger hunt, and, and that, was, that was it. Okay. Some of you can be very perceptive about human behavior. Why? Well, we're to be wise as a serpent, gentle as a dove, and we believe everybody can change, but we are to be wise as a serpent, gentle as a dove, and are dealing with people. People can change. We believe that. Otherwise, we better shut the Bible and walk off of this pulpit forever. God can change people. We know that. You also know that when you pick up a snake, if it bites you, if you pick up that same snake, there's a very good chance that it could bite you. And so there's discernment also. God knows exactly who he's dealing with on this night. It's not a reasonable guess from his end. He's not saying, well, Judas could betray me tonight, but Peter might deny me. No, he knows exactly what they're going to do. He's always known for the beginning of time. Listen, 
We'll see next week in our Deuteronomy study that before the children of Israel even walk into the promised land, God tells Moses, listen, they're going to start worshiping idols. They're going to get fat off the land. God knows exactly what they're going to do. And he's known exactly what you were going to do and what I was going to do. And it was all foretold what was going to happen. The fact that he was going to be crucified was foretold in Psalm 22, written hundreds of years earlier, Isaiah 53, all over the place. And so the implication is this, is that God has always known what was going to happen. Now, if you're a disciple and you're walking around somebody that knows, that's known from the beginning of time what was going to happen, that created the brain, how comfortable are you walking around with somebody that knows exactly what you're thinking? Can you imagine him walking around with the disciples and Peter's checking out some girl and, and Jesus just has to look at him and he's going, really, Peter? And Peter's saying, okay, all right. Could you imagine if you're walking with somebody that always knew exactly what you were thinking? Most of you are like, oh, no way. I can see it in your faces. You're sitting there saying, I don't want that. I don't want that. Yet these disciples were walking with their Messiah and he knew exactly and he knew it from the beginning of time. That's amazing to me. That's amazing. Some of you have been given really good discernment. But what Jesus knows, wow. It says here, I will strike the shepherd, back to verse 27, and the sheep will be scattered. Verse 28, but after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. All right? He knows that he, as the shepherd, is going to be stricken that night. And this is the third point. He knows exactly how far he will go for you. And this is a really, really important point. He knows exactly how far he's going to go for them. He knows exactly how far he would go for you. You understand that the cross didn't just happen to Jesus. He was not a prisoner of circumstance. He chose the cross, and he chose it on your behalf. He said that, I'm going to go this far. And anybody that tried to deter him from the cross, he said, I have no part with you. Don't you try to take me away from that cross. I chose that from before the beginning of time. Only Satan would try to keep him from the cross. And this is where I think this becomes even this much more important. Because some of us are very quick to write people off. Now, Jesus knows exactly how far he's going to go. He's going to go all the way to the cross for you. All right? He's going to go all the way from a cross. And as I was thinking about this, this, this kind of hit me very hard. Because if I could be 100% transparent, there have been times in my life, perhaps when somebody lets me down, where I'm ready to write someone off. There have been those moments in my life. I'm just going to be, I'd rather be honest with you than not. But that's not from Jesus. And here's how you can tell. Because there are times to step away from a relationship. There are times to back off. There are times to do that. But when the bitterness is affecting you and you're not burdened for that person as much as you are bitter towards that person, that's usually a good gauge. If there's more bitterness than burden to go to Christ because Christ still died for them, even if they hurt you, even if they hurt you badly, even if they let you down, is this still somebody that Jesus went to the cross for? And so we still need to be on our knees. Because Jesus knew, again, it was determined from before the beginning of time how far He was going to go for you. And there have been times that I look at my life and saying, I look in the mirror and I say, I just, I, 
I'm not worth it. You know what he does at that moment? He looks at me and he says, overruled. I said you were worth it. Who are you to say that you're not to? I made you worth it because I sent my son to die on a cross for you. He knows exactly how far he's going to go for you and he's known since the beginning of time. That's why you've got to take this personally. Sometimes you take people's insults personally or their letdowns personally. We take that personally, don't we? All right, why can't we take the fact that he loved us enough to send his son to go to a cross for us? Why can't we take that personally and let that inspire us and encourage us and comfort us and empower us? Why? He went that far for you. Even if people walk out on your, on your life, even if they give up on you, He never did. There are those moments, folks, where you take a look and you say, okay, you know what, in this particular situation, my role is relegated to praying. It's a big deal. One of the things that Oswald Chambers talks about is like, listen, when you see a shortcoming or you see a struggle in a person or that person has let you down, one of the things that Oswald talks about is making sure that rather than saying, hey, you know what, we need to pray for this person because they did this, this, and this. What we need to be doing is we need to be looking at ourselves for those character flaws and then we need to be on our faces interceding on their behalf. But sometimes, quite honestly, it's bothering me too much to do that. And that's when I know that the problem isn't with them at all. Then the problem is with me, because I'm the one that's getting bitter. I'm the one that's getting changed, and not in a good way. Does that make sense? See, this is the freedom that was won for you on the cross. He knows the outcome. He went all the way to that cross for you. For you. For me. He knows the outcome. He's determined how far he was going to go for you. And actually, that's point number four, and I just kind of messed that up, but that's all right. All right, the third point, let me go back to this. The way, Okay, he knows how, exactly how far he will go for you. And then the fourth point is he knows the outcome. Listen to what he says to the disciples in verse 28. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. So in other words, I know that every single one of you is going to blow it, and after you do, and after I'm raised, and we're all going to go to Galilee, and we're going to hang. All right, so he knows what you're going to do, but he knows the outcome, and so he's still going. He knows the outcome. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. If you were assured of the outcome, might it change the things that are shackling you right now? If you had that kind of confidence in the outcome. I remember Pastor Chuck Smith used to tell a story of uh, thinking that he was going to have to leave the ministry and go back to work. And all of a sudden this provision came in and he'd been sweating it out and he was about to quit. And then this provision came in and he was dancing with his wife and celebrating God. And the way that he relays it, he said, well, at that moment as I was celebrating God, he said, I kind of felt God was saying to me, wasn't I worth celebrating before the provision came in, before you could see the provision? Was I still worth celebrating then? Or only now that I've given you what you believe you need, only now am I worth celebrating? If we really trusted the outcome. See, because sometimes you can't see what's coming, but you know the person that's in control. For the Christian, that has to be good enough. Listen, on our honeymoon... I didn't tell my wife where we were going. I just told her to pack for a tropical place, bring bathing suit and shorts and this kind of stuff. She had no idea. This was 16 years ago. She had no idea where we were going. 
But she packed just as I'd asked her to. And we were going to the Dominican Republic, to Punta Cana. And she had no idea where we were going. But she trusted me. Now, after 16 years of marriage, I'll say, well, pack like this. Where are we going? <laughs> no, but she trusted me. All right? And that's the thing. You won't always see the outcome, but you know that the one who is in charge loves you enough to have gone to the cross and he won heaven. And there's no part of the process that he's confused about. He knows the outcome. Listen, when Joseph had the dream, God knew what was happening. But when he was sold into slavery, God knew what was happening. When he was promoted in Potiphar's house, God knew what was happening. When he was falsely accused of rape, God knew what was happening. As he was sitting there in his prison cell for a few years, God knew exactly what was happening and how all things were truly working together for good to put Joseph in the place of number two under only the Pharaoh in Egypt. God knows the outcome of your situation. And because you're his child, he's looking out for you. But you're saying, but pastor, right now in my life, it doesn't feel like he's looking out for me. Right now, circumstances are so crazy and harrowed and, 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 and challenging right now. Now, he knows. He knows the outcome. And you're his. And this is called faith. It's called faith. Believing that He has determined an outcome for your life that is better than yours. Better than your plan. And so, He knows the outcome. Reading a little further in our passage, Mark 14, verse 29, Peter said to Him, and I'll try not to read this in a voice that gives it any kind of meaning. Peter said to him, even, even, even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. Verse 30, Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, that today, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. The rooster's only going to speak twice, but before that rooster speaks twice, you're going to deny me three times. This is point five of what he knows. He knows your deepest individual need. He knows your deepest individual need. And he knows that with the rest of the disciples abandoning him, Judas at this point having already left, he knows that Peter is going to deny that he even knows him. He knows Peter's real problem. And Peter's real problem is pride. Peter's real problem is pride. And so he's going to meet him in that place because he knows our deepest individual need. Does this not, this is another thing that I, I pray to God blows you away. As, as you consider that at this moment there are probably 7 billion people walking this planet, that he knows that there's somebody in this room that struggles with crowded rooms. He knows there's somebody in this room that struggles with Florida traffic. He knows your job is in jeopardy. He knows that some don't know where the next meal is coming from. He alone knows the fire that you need to go through to become the man and the woman that He's created you to be. He alone knows these things. Because we all have these things called character flaws. And if you were to look and you would say, well, not me, Pastor John, I would say, well, right, there's yours. All right? 
He knows the individual's deepest need. And I think that that really gets me more than anything else is that he knows exactly what you're struggling with. And the struggles that we're going through a lot of the time are tailor-made because he wants to do something in us and through us. And so with Peter, Peter's like, oh, even if everybody else fails you. We'll see that when Jesus restores Peter after Peter falls, we'll see that Jesus asks him a very pointed question. He says, Peter, do you really love me more than these? That's the first question he asks him. Why? Because Peter said, well, even if everybody else fails you, he knows exactly what you need and when you need it. Because he's always doing something in your life, in your heart, to develop the character of his son and to make us more dependent upon him. And that'll bring us to our last point. He knows how to meet that individual need like no other. There is no doctor, counselor, pastor that can meet your need like Jesus. He knows how to meet your need like no other. A few years ago, I had an attack of the gout. How many of you are familiar with the gout? All right. So I couldn't even walk. And I went to a doctor, and he was my primary that I was less than confident with. And But this guy, the one thing that this man knew was the gout. He's like, I know the gout when I see it. He said, okay, I'm going to give you a pill. And then he said, I want you to, I want to give you a shot. And he gave me that shot. And sure enough, you know, within a couple of hours, it's like this man knew what he was doing. God knows exactly what you need and what he's doing in your life right now. There's no part of what you're going through. There's no part of your struggle that God isn't saying, listen, I'm here to meet their need. Because somebody else is taking their joy away. Their joy was meant to be found in me. Somebody else is taking their peace away. Their peace was made to be found in me. How many times have you taken a medication that you wanted to spit out? Anybody? All right. How many times have you received a shot that was kind of painful? All right. So you've received a shot, you've taken the medication, and usually these are the things that we need. Right? How many of you, and let me ask you this, how many of you have heard something about yourself from someone else that was painful to hear. Anybody in the room? Because God knows exactly what you need when you need it, and he's willing to take you as far as he has to to give it to you because he loves you. Don't sit there and say, love me less. You don't want him to, trust me. I read a quote yesterday by Charles Spurgeon, and it just rocked me. He said, perfect love seeks the perfection of the thing it loves. Let me read that again so you can marinate in that for a second. Perfect love seeks the perfection of the thing it loves. Perfect love is what you've been loved with by God. And his desire is to see you daily made more and more into the character of his son. Because perfect love seeks the perfection of the thing it loves. He knows exactly what you need and exactly when you need it. Oh, but Peter spoke again. Oh, if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said likewise. It's obvious what Peter needs at this moment. Jesus knows exactly what it is. And he still, to this day, thousands of years later, has a way of meeting you where you're at. And I only say this because this morning I had living proof. And I love to share this with you guys. 
I had the most amazing experience this morning as I was preparing this message and praying over it. I received an e-card. I'm going to be 100% with you. If you've sent me an e-card, I never open them. I just, I'm, I'm not good with email. Sorry, all right? But this morning as I'm preparing the message about our deepest needs, I'm sitting there and I myself, I'll throw a little bit of a little inner battle. And something said, open up this e-card. And it was from a missionary that we support who vacillates between Africa and Israel. And this missionary sent me a card. Now, I know this missionary, oh, you know, she's been to the church a few times. We love her. We pray for her. We support her. But she doesn't know me. And the things that I saw on this card would have only been possible because it was like the card told a story. And it was almost like that card was my life story with different things that were there that nobody could know unless they read a biography about my life, which is impossible because there's no biography on my life that's been written. All right, But whatever it was that I read this morning, I was like, wow, this from there to there to there. These are things that only God could have placed on someone's heart. Things that only God could know. And now I open it up and I'm sitting there and I'm like, wow. Here's how I know it was from Him. Because I didn't say, this lady is so super spiritual. BTW, she is. She loves the Lord. But the first thing I thought was, was how good is God? How good is He? To put something like that in front of me this morning, knowing what I was going through. Wow, this is, this is my story, Lord. See, that's how you really understand that it's a spiritual gift. Because one, it glorifies God. Two, it encourages His people. Three, it's something that you share with the world. And it's an awesome thing because it all points to Him. It all points to Him. I want to close you the story today. It's a true story of a famous composer and musician, Mendelssohn. Maybe some of you are familiar with him. He went to a cathedral in Europe. They had just brought a new organ, bought a new organ. The guy whose charge it was to take care of the organ didn't recognize the talented musician. Mendelssohn said, Sir, may I please play this organ without revealing who he was? The caretaker of the organ said, Oh no, this is our brand new organ. We can't just allow anyone to play it. Mendelssohn asked again, Sir, let me play the organ. Oh, I'm sorry, you don't understand. This is a million dollar organ. We can't let you play this organ. The composer tried yet again. Please, please let me play. To get rid of the visitor, the man said, Okay, here you can play for just a minute. Mendelssohn sat down and started playing. Music like the man had never heard started coming through the pipes of this organ. He had never heard such harmonious sounds in his life. He said, Mr., who are you? And it's at that moment Mendelssohn introduced himself. The man just stared at him with his mouth open, now recognizing who stood in front of him. He felt embarrassed to think that he had been foolish enough to forbid Mendelssohn to play the organ. He just didn't realize who was in his cathedral. We ought to be embarrassed 
that we don't recognize the power of the presence of God in our hearts and give Him the right to have His way. Give Him the right to have His way because you're His. Everything you have is His. For of Him, through Him, and to Him are all things.